If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I am super passionate about mental and emotional fitness. You know, we can't separate our whole being, and that's why holistic health and wellness has become so popular and less poo-pooed in our modern culture that, you know, we just can't ignore the connection between the brain and the body and the spirit. And I've been so interested in mental and emotional health, particularly now in uh, 2021, the very end of 2021, when I record this, that uh, with the mandates and the lockdowns and all the cancel culture and the infighting and the outfighting and the governmental tyranny and restrictions and who do you believe, who do you trust, so much uh, social isolation and frustration and fear and loneliness, both globally and personally, it seems more timely than ever to do a show on dealing with and healing trauma, painful emotions and mental health issues. In today's busy world, how can we find the inspiration, knowledge, and energy to live a healthy and empowered life? If we balance and harmonize our mind, exercise our body, live according to the laws of nature, and connect to spirit, can we find a way to heal, become our authentic self, and live our purpose with love? I am your hostess, Amy Fournier, and welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite. I'm going to talk to you today about a blog post that I shared on my on my website, which by the way, you might want to jump on my email list because many of my social media posts have been, my account has actually been removed. I've been in social media jail several times. I've had many, many videos of naturopathic doctors, scientists, very accomplished, accredited professionals sharing their opinion in their work that went against the propaganda and the social narrative going on, the controlled social narrative going on. And I've had my account not only removed, my content removed, the warnings, the whole deal. So my friend, it might be just a matter of time if you are following me on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook that I'm not there anymore and you won't be able to find me. So uh, you might want to jump on my email list. God knows the internet probably go down at some point too, but uh, hey, we'll do what we can, right? And that's just uh, my website, amyfournier.com, A-M-Y-F as in Fox, O-U-R-N-I-E-R.com. You can jump on my email list. I never, ever would share it. Hopefully, you know, it's my highest intention to have a lot of integrity, both internally and externally in my life. So I would never, ever share your email with anybody. And I do send out a weekly newsletter sharing my latest findings and what's going on with me. So in case I'm not on Instagram anymore at Fit Amy TV or my YouTube channel, Awakening Aphrodite Podcast, Fit Amy TV, those might be gone, who knows, but at least we'll still be together. And uh, we will continue together for truth and love and freedom and sovereignty and the right for all of us to make our own decisions in our lives. And we can only make a decision if it's an accurate, honest decision. That's what I always have to add to that because I feel like most people do try to make good decisions, but they don't realize that not everybody has integrity and not all the information you're getting is actually truthful. So today's show is befriending your body, dealing with and healing trauma, painful emotions, and mental health issues with 
The Body Keeps the Score book, which is a classic, classic book in the field of trauma by none other than trauma and mental health specialist, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who's also an MD. He, yes, he literally wrote the book on it, but he was a pioneer. He's just a behemoth giant in this industry. So in one of my recent trainings, Nonlinear Movement Method, which is a beautiful practice of how to embody your body, how to get in your body and out of your head, something that I have been studying just massively over the last few years as I've harmonized my masculine and feminine energy in myself. And uh, I had to read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I also had to write a, uh, a review of it. So I'm sharing with you, because again, I think it's super timely in this day and age more than ever. So I'm sharing with you that review. So the book, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body, in Healing of Trauma by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, hopefully will help anybody that has been suffering with the debilitating and often insidious effects of mental and emotional trauma that are surprisingly common in life. And I was just amazed as I read this book at how common it truly is. And maybe if it's not you, it's someone you love. I mean, it's safe to say if you're a human being, you have emotional issues, and or at least you know some people that do, some more than others. Um, but this book, like I said, is truly a classic in the field of trauma therapy and somatic release and mind-body treatment. Uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk is the founder and medical director of the Trauma Center, which actually is in Brookline, Massachusetts, which happens to be my home state, or at least my was, was my home state where I grew up. And he is also the professor of psychiatry at BU School of Medicine, director of the National Complex Trauma Treatment Network, and teaches all over the world. Again, he is a giant in this field of trauma and mental health. So I was actually first introduced to this book years ago in my own trauma healing efforts uh, by several people who recommended I get the book. And uh, I won't get into all that, but it like I said, it wasn't until recently where I was undergoing the certification in uh, nonlinear movement method that I was required to read the book for the certification, uh, which is a class I actually teach online, which is beautiful. And so, you know, hey, timing is everything. So it was just life wanted me to read this book, apparently. So and the, the, the time was right for me to read this book. So when I first started reading it, I couldn't put it down. It just, I just was obsessed. It was like, wow, this is like me. <laughs> um, and soon my book had more highlighted sections than non-highlighted sections. So perhaps one of the biggest benefits that I received was that it helped me understand myself better. And you've probably heard it before that true health requires self-knowledge, not only self-respect and bravery to do your own thing and listen to your own body regardless of what anyone else says but also to understand yourself we're all trying to understand ourselves why am i here who am i what do i need to do to be happy How, what do i need to set up my life like so i'm healthy it's all the unique individual path that we are on trying to figure it out so a huge takeaway for me was it just helped me understand like why i think the way i do and because I would often think 
and maybe you do too, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why do I keep doing this? Or why do I, you know, uh, take one step forward, three steps back? Or wow, why do I react that way emotionally? Or I just got my buttons pushed and freaked out. And oh my God, like, <laughs> I just got hijacked psychologically. So I think a lot of times with people who've experienced trauma, they they just really don't understand themselves and they really think something is definitely defective with them. I mean, no doubt. Cause they look at other people and think, well, you know, no one's like me and I react the weird way or I, you know, I have hangups, I have issues, whatever. And, uh, that's a sign that, Hey, you know what? Maybe it's something you need to look at and good news. There are people who can help you and you are definitely, definitely not the only one feeling that way. So this book really helped me understand myself better. And, uh, you know, if you follow my work or listen to the show regularly, a big theme of everything I do is just that. So like me, Vanderkolk's main objective is to help people integrate all parts of themselves. So I really loved that and resonated with him about that. Um, and to ultimately become whole, highly functional and with sovereignty over ourselves. He has the same goals as me, and I love that. You know, when we're dealing with traumatic issues and painful things and things, you know, the, the shadow side of ourselves, the things we don't like about ourselves, the things that we don't know how to handle, what do we do? We wall them off, right? We sweep them under the rug or we stick them in the closet or we paint a happy face on them and we just go on. But you know what? there's no escaping that that's called repressed and somehow that's going to rear its ugly head either by like I mentioned me like freaking out at something that wasn't a big deal or snapping at somebody or even just being taken aback by my own reaction or behavior to things like where did that come from you know like that's a sign that something is under there that needs to be addressed and that's what we mean by when we say holistic and integrated I've been on a very intense journey with my personal coach to Paul Check, who has really helped me integrate all of who I am. And uh, I'm not going to lie, it's, it hasn't been pretty at times, that's for sure. But I truly knew it was the only way for me to survive a massive burnout and midlife crisis that I had just it wasn't working, you know? It's like, if your life is not working, I tell people, it's like, well, and they say, well, I can't change, or, you know, I hate change, or I'm afraid to change, or all that. It's like, well, you know what? Then you're not in enough pain. <laughs> because when you get to be in enough pain, you just, it's not tolerable anymore. You will change. <laughs> and that's where I was. And I was even at the point where I was like, I I hate my life. Like, I, I, I don't even want to say as dramatic as, I don't want to live, but I just, I didn't really want to live because I hated what my whole life. <laughs> so I had to get that bad, unfortunately, because your girl's kind of stubborn. I guess I have a very thick head and I needed a lot of pain to really push me to finally be open enough to, all right, I'll do anything. Well, just tell me what to do or help me or whatever. So that's full integration. I had to address a lot of the skeletons in the closet. I still am. And again, it drew, drew me to this wonderful book on healing some of the deep, deep trauma. And I'm not there yet. I'm not even going to say I am. I'm, oh, look at me. I'm all shiny and bright now and wonderful. Hell no. <laughs> but I'm in it. I'm in the game and I am healing because how do I know? Well, 
I know. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just feel better. I just feel different. I mean, I, I feel like I, I might even look different. I don't know. I mean, just more relaxed, not stressed out. Nothing will age you more than stress. Let me tell you something. Stress and lack of sleep will age the hell out of you. I definitely have, uh, I am down the road of my healing journey. That's uh, why I feel qualified to even talk about it. So there's good news if you, uh, if you're just starting your journey. Just, just keep going. So unlike conventional talk therapy techniques and pop psychology, this book explained a lot of things that others didn't have answers for. One another reason why it's so popular. One of its main premises is that our most painful experiences and memories are stored in the body, not just the mind. And therefore, to heal them, we need to get into the body. Critical critical point. And this is why the course I was taking, the certification on nonlinear movement method required us to read this book. And um, because anything that happens to us, these memories, whether good or bad, are actually stored in your cells. This chemical reactions to every thought you think. I like to tell people that your thoughts are ingredients just like your food has ingredients, right? Oh, does it have vitamin D? Does it have vitamin C? Like, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Does it have water? Well, your thinking is an ingredient for your being. Something to really meditate on. Wrap your brain around that. Think about how many thoughts you have during the day and how many of them are good and how many of them are bad. How many are fearful and worried and anxious and anticipating or bemoaning the past or whatever it is. So thoughts are critical and they're stored in your body. And I love how Dr. Van Berkel talks about how the memories are stored in your body. And that's why a lot of the times you can't logically talk your way out of painful trauma because your adult brain can understand, oh, okay, I get it. That happened to me when I was a kid and, you know, that was a mistake or, you know, that person didn't know any better or whatever. But now as an adult, I can see, okay, I'm safe. It's cool. I can go on. But you're still holding on to the trauma and your body might still have the phobia or the addiction or the overeating or whatever it may be, which is a manifestation of the trauma that's in your body because you're just trying to cope with it. And by the way, if you want more on that, you probably want to listen to my episode with Dr. Waylon Myers. We talked about nonviolent communication and also healing addictions and trauma. It's a fascinating show if you want to get into more on addictions because uh, that's that can be a manifestation of unresolved needs. So I know that the talk therapy didn't work for me is the thing I wanted to share with you. And God knows I had a lot of it. I had a lot of even hypnotherapy and, uh, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, therapists, and it just, it just, just wasn't working. I mean, it was great to be able to talk to someone about things, but after a while, well, it just didn't work. I still had the issues at the end of the day. Although there were times that it was emotionally very hard for me to keep reading this book, I realized that this was because I was, it was actually triggering a lot of the old, buried, deep subconscious stuff I had inside me. And I found at the end of learning all that I did, I had a new sense of, of compassion for myself and therefore love for myself. And wow, what a blessing. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was like, I can't say I had any like flashbacks or memories of some of the stuff that happened to me per se while I was reading the book, but I definitely 
felt stuff happening in my body. It was like this weird thing going on as I was reading it. So it was resonating with my cells back to his point that your, your memories are stored in your body because my body was like, "Uh uh-huh. Yep. 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 So that was a huge blessing for me personally. I feel like this book should be a must read for any therapist, trauma survivor, or loved one of a trauma survivor to facilitate understanding and help not only heal, but deal with what happened to them. Every page is full of fascinating and educating insights. The author shares that one of the hardest things for the traumatized people is dealing with the shame, the shame that they feel about how they behave during the episode or event, whether they were on the receiving end of any kind of trauma behavior or abuse, or even, you know, some of the people who feel like they allowed it to happen or they didn't fight hard enough or they didn't speak out or any of that. Tremendous amount of shame. And we know that shame is probably the most worst ingredient for your mental, emotional, physical health. It has extremely low vibration and it also is the number one factor that promotes and pushes addictions and will prevent recovery from addictions. So we have got to be honest and look at feelings of shame that most of us do carry. Again, some of us more degree than others. It's just so sad because even if you were the victim of abuse or trauma, I feel, at least personally for me, and obviously I'm getting super, super personal here. You know, it's like even when you're a little kid, you know something's wrong, you know? Even if the adult is telling you all these wonderful things, you know something's wrong. You know, this isn't, this isn't right because your soul knows. Your soul is love. Your soul is true source, which is love. And your soul knows truth. So there can be a deep shame attached before your cognitive mature brain even develops and that memory is stored in your body which is a big reason why so many people that are victims of such things have addictions and behaviors that they don't understand so until we address and heal that shame we won't heal this is (laughs) i didn't think this was i was not hoping this was going to be a tough episode for me to do but uh You know, it's just my sincere attempt that this will help people, you know, really help people. So unfortunately, a lot of times people feel like they took a lack of appropriate quote unquote action as in fighting or fleeing, but rather they often submitted to the abuse, which is otherwise known as freezing. So we know there's fight and flight, but a lot of people don't know that there's freeze And this can happen with, you know, rape survivors or whatever it is. And then unfortunately, a lot of people think I should have fought back or, or even people who criticize and say, well, you didn't do anything about it or whatever. But Vanderkolt explains that freezing is a common psychological response to extreme stress and trauma. And one which is only now actually becoming more studied and understood as well as respected. The book is divided into 20 chapters and five parts. The first part is on the rediscovery of trauma and Vanderkult gives lessons from Vietnam veterans and revolutions in misunderstood mind and brain connection, looking into the brain, the neuroscience of revolution is just fascinating. Part two of the book talks about the effects of trauma on your brain and he calls it, this is your brain on trauma. 
And, uh, you know, he calls it running for your life. What is the anatomy of survival? How trauma actually literally changes your brain chemistry and the way it develops if it happens to you as a child. Part three of the book gets into the minds of children getting on the same wavelength of attachment and attunement and how those two terms, attachment and attunement, develop in children. Trapped in relationships and the cost of abuse and neglect, whether it be with a partner, an adult, a parent, and developmental trauma, how it's actually a hidden epidemic in his opinion. Part four gives us education on the imprint of trauma, uncovering secrets, the problems of traumatic memory, and the unbearable heaviness of remembering. You know, I'm just going to throw in, there's one more part, but I just want to throw in a little piece here. It's funny because I've been meaning to share this episode with you for a while. I just haven't been able to record it. I'd be like, oh, busy or, you know, other wonderful, amazing guests. My other shows are just so amazing. And I just, I think it's just coming to me now why I, I don't want to say procrastinated, but it wasn't uh, like, yeah, I can't wait to record that episode. Yeah. So... I guess even just recording it is bringing up some stuff for me. So I apologize. I'm going to try to muscle through this. I wish you were here with me right now to hold my hand. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the unbearable heaviness of remembering. Yes. It's, uh, yes. And the last part is part five paths to recovery, healing from trauma, owning yourself. Yes. Amen. Own yourself. Language, miracle, and tyranny. Letting go of the past. EMDR, which is uh, the uh, eye movement therapy, learning to inhabit your body again. And, and he's a big proponent of yoga, which I think is beautiful. Putting the pieces together, self-leadership. Yes. Leading ourselves, filling the holes, creating structures, applied neuroscience, rewiring the fear-driven mind and brain computer interface technology. And lastly, finding your voice communal rhythms and theater he's a big proponent of uh theater to help people express themselves you know i was really just amazed to learn of the pervasiveness of trauma in society in general according to the research from the centers of disease control and prevention one in five americans was sexually molested as a child that's 20 percent one in five 25 percent of us grew up with alcoholic relatives one in eight witnessed their mothers being hit. Painkillers are killing more people each year in the United States than guns or car accidents. All right. And that's just killing. That doesn't include, you know, all the other side effects and problems and issues that these medications and chemicals have in people's bodies. And those are the reported ones. So even though these numbers are super disturbing, Vandercoat talks about how resilient we are as a species which is super encouraging, I think. And yet how unfortunately, if we're exposed to violence or family violence as a child, it can make it difficult to enjoy stable and trusting relationships as an adult. According to Vanderkolt, trauma as, quote, unbearable and intolerable events, unquote, end up producing actual physiological changes in the brain, including a recalibration of the brain's alarm system, an increase in stress hormone, activity and alterations in the brain that filters relevant information from irrelevant. This is critical. So basically these really traumatic emotional mental events that happen rewire your brain. They change your brain chemistry. Again, think of it as 
you know, the difference between eating a, a huge ice cream sundae and a piece of uh, chicken or, or something, right? I mean, they're going to have completely different brain chemistry reactions, body chemistry reactions between the two. So this trauma is like that. It's like an ingredient that completely rewires and hijacks your, your body. So it's a very, very physical, real result, not just emotional. So this really helped me understand why often traumatized people can be so hyper vigilant. And just take a moment to think, is this you or maybe sound familiar? Such as having difficulty, quote, going with the flow, right? Or truly being able to relax on a visceral level, you know, because they're always on hyper alert. It just helped me understand a lot. And I really, really appreciated the way the author describes trauma as not just as much like an event, but rather something that physically changes brain and body and the way the person sees and processes the world. Okay. It's like putting on a pair of glasses. It's completely going to change how you're seeing what you're seeing. It's not just that one event. Vanderkold explains how the fight stress response actually gives you energy. This is key. Think about that. When you're stressed out or angry or whatever, it is, it, it, jacks your body up, right? It gets adrenaline going. Adrenaline is an energy chemical. It gives you energy. And this is part of why being so busy and hypervigilant all the time can be so addictive for people that are exhausted or not eating right or not getting enough sleep because they get energized by these chemicals in their own body. And so I feel like this can be a, a big reason why a high stress lifestyle can be the way a lot of people have their, their fallback. It's almost as if you know, someone's default mode and automatic way of being and living because it gives you energy is kind of the preferred way because they don't know any other way through natural and lifestyle methods. So I know I've always been like the overdoer, the, the overachiever, the high energy, ambitious person. People always comment on my energy and gosh, you know, maybe this was part of the reason and explains some of, some of that. And, um, you know, I always, always had a hard time meditating or sitting still and turning it off and all that stuff. So, you know, again, it just helped me understand a little bit about myself. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to keep functioning while carrying the memory of terror and shame and the utter weakness and vulnerability uh, and lack of control that we have. And that's a quote from him, the author. So further, he also explains how trauma survivors can be triggered and reactivated at the slightest associated thing. This is key. And this can set off a, cas a cascade of intense, disturbing emotions and or intense physical sensations, which leaves them to feel out of control and even damaged to the core or beyond redemption. Until reading this book, I had only thought about some someone as being the victim of and on the receiving end of trauma. Yet the author states that trauma can possibly be both the result of something done to you or the result of something you have done. So I've never thought of it from the perpetrator's side. So he makes the point that regardless of which end the person is on, either the victim or the perpetrator, the resulting dysfunction and disruption in the mind and body is the same. A major premise and one that's consistent with all trauma therapy models is the feeling and the feeling need to be safe. So the need to feel safe is paramount. This is critical 
for recovery and therapy. Ultimately, we cannot access and feel our feelings unless it's safe to feel. I know a lot of times, and I've talked about this many times in the show that people say, you know, I don't know what I feel. You know, it's just, how do you feel? I don't know, right? Or they even might say in a vulnerable moment, I don't want to go there because um, I don't even know how to handle it. Or they're not in an environment or with a person where it's really safe to feel those feelings and fall apart, right? We all need to have people and support around us that we feel like we can be truly ourselves and just take off that armor and just be vulnerable, be imperfect and be, be whatever and just feel but safety is required. Like they say, you can't heal what you don't feel and you can't feel what you don't heal. So thus establishing a safe environment is step one of healing and recovery. I found it fascinating how Vanderkold explains that humans are meaning making creatures. And it's because of this, that their story and the story we tell ourselves about the event is so critical to address. The story we tell ourselves about what happened to us is critical to address. He goes into great detail about the psychological process and physiological process and functions of the memory and how it not only highly is subjective, you know, according to the individual, but also almost always different than the reality at least different in some regard, either good, bad, or whatever. It's just somehow actually different than the reality. And that's just, we know perception is reality, right? You could put 20 people in one room and have something happen. You're going to get 20 different variations. I mean, the, the core might be the same, but there's going to be nuances that are individual. So it's our unique recall of the events that then shape the development of the person meaning or the personal meaning that we give it or the interpretation that we attach to the event. Vanderkolt describes how research done using the Rorschach test, you know, that ink blot test that they probably had you do in school when you were in fifth grade. Uh, it actually revealed that traumatized people have a tendency to superimpose their trauma on everything around them. And they have trouble accurately deciphering what is going on around them showing how trauma not only affects the imagination, the ability to let our minds play, turn off, relax, and the ability to be mentally flexible, which actually is a hallmark of imagination. We need to be able to have mental flexibility and, you know, just the open mind and all that stuff. The ability to create and go into that right brain. Well, all that is, uh, adversely affected by trauma. So all of these faculties are disrupted. Instead of these normal processes, the mind rather simply replays an old reel. This is a big problem because imagination is absolutely critical to the quality of our lives. In fact, Einstein said imagination is more important than intelligence. So imagination enables us to go beyond the everyday routine of life, Ugh, the drudgery of life, right? The groundhog day of life. It, it, we have to have our imagination, have that creative juice, that flow, that fire. And, and, and it allows us to fantasize about and visualize and aspire to things being different, better. And uh, including the ability of imagining new possibilities and imagining the things that we want. It's critical. So therefore, having a properly functioning imagination is an essential launchpad for making our hopes come true. For it's what fires our creativity and re relieves our pain and enlivens our boredom 
as well as opening up our capacity for pleasure. Trauma survivors can be compulsively and constantly pulled back to the past, to the last time they felt an intense involvement in deep emotions. They suffer from a failure of imagination, a loss of mental flexibility, and how without imagination, there's no hope for a better future. Ouch. The origins of the term post-traumatic stress disorder, in fact, PTSD, are explained in this book, as well as its clusters of symptoms, which include at its core, the feeling of profound hopelessness and helplessness. Vanderkolk explains how for trauma survivors, the world can be divided into two groups of people between those who quote, know, and those who quote, don't know. You're either in or you're out. You can either be trusted or not trusted. And he talked about how trauma is not only something that has occurred in the past, but is also something that has left an imprint on the person's mind, brain, and body with consequences on how the person manages to survive right now in his or her worldview of the present. And in, in addiction, how trauma changes not only what we think and what we think about, but also our very capacity to think. <sighs> Just mind-blowing for me. This book was just so powerful. It's very interesting how he states that the act of telling the story, the act of telling the story and talking about it, and then applying the meaning that you're giving to it, to what happened, is not enough for healing, but rather that in order to resolve the person's constant hypervigilance and their constant state of preparedness, their lack of imagination and their pain and stuckness, in order to overcome these things, the body needs to learn that the danger has passed. The body needs to learn the danger has passed and how to live in the reality of the present. This is essential for real change to take place. He shares how he had formulated a rule as a result of his tra training. So he made his own rule that I know other uh, professionals have copied since. Here's what he said. If you do something to a patient, that you would not do to a friend or children, consider whether you are unwittingly replicating that trauma from a patient's past. So again, keep in mind, trauma is held in the body, in the very cells from head to toe, not just in the brain or mind. He also states, people cannot get better without knowing what they should know and feeling what they should feel. One of his mentors and professors at Harvard University actually put it this way, quote, failure to attend to our basic human needs result in a stunt of our basic existence. You can be fully in charge of your life only if you acknowledge the reality of your body in all its visceral dimensions. You know, I found it fascinating how research shows that people suffering from PTSD had low cortisol levels. It's like, what? How is that even possible? You would think the opposite, right? But the reason for this was theorized that, me, that this was because cortisol puts an end to the stress by signaling it's an all safe signal in the body. In short, basically the stress hormone, which is cortisol, of people with, with PTSD did not return to baseline after the event had passed. Instead, they continue to secrete also of note was the low serotonin, the low serotonin in the brain, which is, was associated with hyper reactivity. And we know serotonin, and I have a show on that too, with a 
look at, I think it's episode somehow in the 40s is popping into my brain with Dr. Loretta Bruning, who's an expert on happy chemicals, brain chemicals, and how serotonin is the happy hormone. That's the one that we need in order to have self-esteem and feel good and just be happy. And that's the one that gets low with seasonal affective disorder and those people who have trouble in the, in the cold winter months with lack of sunshine. Well, low serotonin in the brain was associated with hyperreactivity and PTSD. So again, that hypervigilant state is uh, so common in those who've experienced trauma. Vernicolt discusses how the conventional, the brain disease model is faulty and that it basically takes the control over people's fate out of their own hands and into the doctors and insurance companies to instead fix their problems. So, hallelujah, I'm all about power to the people, baby. He postulates that based on the astronomical levels of annual drug, drug prescriptions, if the drug model worked and actually was effective, as we've been led to believe, then depression, for example, would no longer be an issue because the drugs don't work. They're just a band-aid at best. And of course, they come with a host of other side effects and problems down the road. He shares that even as prescriptions have increased, it's not even made a small dent in the hospital admissions for depression and how one in 10 Americans now take antidepressants. Wow, it's just so sad. And back at the time of writing this book, I'm sure it's even higher today, actually. So Vanderkult shares how part of the popularity of the high prescription rate is an attempt to treat trauma survivors is due to the sad fact that antipsychotic medications make children more, quote, manageable and less aggressive. Yet, unfortunately, they also interfere with children's motivation, sense of curiosity and play and are associated with morbid obesity and diabetes. I found it very interesting how the author shares evidence that when trauma patients had flashbacks, the right side of their brain would light up, meaning it was activated on brain scans and deactivated on the left, and how his research showed that images of past trauma clearly affect the right area of the brain. That is so cool, isn't it? So trauma affects the right brain. Hello. That's your creativity. That's your imagination, which we already talked about. That's your relaxation. That's your connection to the divine. I mean, that's known as the feminine side of your body. And of note, the right brain is the first to develop in the womb and carries the nonverbal communication between the mother and the infant. The left brain being, you know, the logical, the linear, the one that we're taught in school, the organized, okay? So that right brain is uh, the critical side to balance our body and our life. The, the brain develops from the reptilian base area first, followed by the mammalian brain, and then the neocortex, which is our higher thinking's brain, that big forehead that we have as homo sapiens. The popular saying, neurons that fire together, wire together, basically means how the brain develops on a required basis. The pervasive theme of the book was the number one requirement for mental health is feeling safe, as I've said. To be able to calm down, there must be a visceral sense of safety and relationships need to be reciprocal, in order to be nurturing and therefore effective. Trauma almost invariably involves not being seen, not being mirrored, and not being taken into account. 
This treatment needs to be reactivated and the capacity to safely mirror and be mirrored by others, yet also resist being hijacked by others' negative emotions. So this is critical and part of the reason why, yes, sometimes counseling and just talk therapy can help because it's just nice for someone to acknowledge and see your feelings and mirror back to you, oh, you're feeling this way and give you some empathy and uh, not sympathy, but empathy, like, okay, you know, and compassion. So why you feel that way. I was also so happy to see the section in the book on the work of Stephen Porges, who I've been studying uh, tremendously the last few years. His research on the vagus nerve and the polyvagal theory that he came up has revolutionized the world of mental health and trauma. The relationship of his polyvagal theory to trauma and the fight, freeze, or flee responses in particular. And I also love how the author explains how the origin of the world sympathetic in the sympathetic nervous system is actually based on the root word for emotion and therefore indicative of its connection to our emotions. I thought that was so cool. Vernico goes in to explain how the brain is a cultural organ and thus how our experience shapes our brain. He basically makes a strong argument for the nature versus, versus nurture theory, which is consistent with the current epigenome research and what we know about the direct and powerful influence of our environment, people around us, our lifestyle, our diet, our thoughts, and our everyday choices and how they affect our genes and our genetic expression. Critical, how empowering. You're not a victim to your genes, folks. That's the bottom line. You're just not. We used to think so, but now we know better. Yay. The case is made that immobilization is at the root of most traumas, which involves the nervous system slowing down to such a degree that the person becomes numb, stops feeling, and often collapses and disassociates from the situation. This is consistent with how we've seen many traumatized people that are either too vigilant, like I've said, hypervigilant, or they're just numbed out. You know anybody that's just numbed out? Or they use things to numb themselves out. This is truly a tragedy because in order to truly connect with ourselves as well as connect with others, we need to be able to relax, surrender, be open, trust, and be safe. We can't know why we feel until we know what we feel. Remember that. I love the section in the book on attachment. As we've learned in research on infant development, Imitation is our most important social skill. It was fascinating to me to learn how six-hour-old babies would imitate facial expressions of the researchers as well as their mothers and their caretakers and behave differently depending on the caretaker's disposition and attention. Wow, six hours old. We are social beings, friends, and uh, we, we are learning more and more about the importance of that social ingredient <laughs> to our health every day. The author goes on to explain how often disassociation can manifest as feeling lost, overwhelmed, abandoned, and disconnected from the world, as well as feeling unloved, empty, helpless, trapped, or weighed down. He explains how infants who are not truly seen and known by their mothers grow into adults with trauma symptoms, and their bodies basically learn to stay in a state of high alert to ward off the abandonment pending. As he explains, if you cannot tolerate knowing what you know and feeling what you feel, 
The only option is disassociation or denial. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. That's called the shadow, my friend. That's called repression. That's called putting in the closet and not feeling it. Because it's you just don't feel like you can handle it. So you stuff it away. But it's still there. The main goal of recovery from any type of trauma is ownership of our own sensations and body. Therefore, Vanderkult shares that he learned the hard way as a therapist to never try to tell someone that they shouldn't feel the way they do. God, I got told that most of my life. Uh, good advice that I think we can all try to make a special note to remember is, yeah, don't ever tell anybody, don't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. The book goes into extensive detail about the popular adverse child trauma, which is also known as the ACE test, and the strong correlation between the ACE scores, mental disorders, depression, suicide attempts, further abusive relationships, rape, etc. So any uh, healthcare professionals listening will be familiar with the ACE test. It's kind of a standard. One of my favorite quotes in the book is, if you mistake someone's solution for a problem in need of being eliminated, not only are they likely to fail treatment, but then other problems may emerge. Addictions are meeting an unmet need of some sort. So you don't want to just take away the thing that they're using to basically medicate themselves emotionally or physically without addressing the need that it was being met in the first place, because it's actually kind of intelligent because we're all here to meet our needs. You just got to give them other tools, other options to meet those needs instead of the problem, problematic addiction. So example of this type of phenomenon is with patients who overeat or as a result become obese as a way of coping or protecting themselves from unmanageable feelings. If a well-meaning therapist or friend tries to treat the obesity and overeating as the root of the problem rather than the symptom of an underlying problem for which the person has utilized this method as a coping mechanism, they will inevitably have poor health results or just poor results in general. I was very impressed to learn that Vanderkult was instrumental in spearheading the, a new diagnosis called developmental trauma disorder, and was also very involved with trying to influence public and political policy in an effort to really make some insight and significant lasting inroads to help people. And I also appreciated and admired his philosophy on taking a holistic approach to treatment, in particular his encouragement importance of including non-drug-based treatments. As he states, if you focus only on faulty biology and defective genes as, as a cause of mental disorders and ignore abandonment, abuse, and deprivation, you run the risk of running into dead ends and blaming it all on defective mothers. Further, he does a wonderful job of explaining how humans are social animals, something I'm huge on. And thus, often mental problems involving not being able to get along with other people, not fitting in, not belonging, and in general, not being able to get on the same wavelength with others. He states one of our most powerful survival strategies is how everything about us, our brains, our bodies, our survival systems, are geared towards social survival systems. So another powerful quote, social support is a biological necessity, not an option. I found it particularly helpful that the author explains the underlying mechanisms as to why trauma and abuse patients often can't seem to consciously recall detailed memories of the abuse 
reiterating how in these circumstances, the traumatic event exceeds the person's resources and process or ability to cope. This is why we dissociate. Our memories are directly related to the meaning or the meanings we assign to the situation, as well as the emotions we feel in relation to the events. Plus, the memory is intimately related to our arousal states, such as the amount of adrenaline that's in the body circulating. So that can be why they're more deeply repressed and buried. So emotion is the key factor in memory as well as recall. In a nutshell, memories are largely dependent on how personal meaningful situation was to you and how emotional we felt about the situation at the time. To explain this further, trauma produces feelings of overwhelm, which shut down the frontal lobe of the brain, which is the higher cognition executive area. You know, your ability to organize and think clearly and get things done and all that kind of stuff. Focus. Your ability to focus is affected by trauma, which is why we often can't put our feelings into words. You know, I've often wondered this, why it's super hard sometimes for me to articulate how I'm feeling at a core level. And the author explains how the emotional brain, which is not under conscious control, it's the limbic area of the brainstem. And he explains how there are two different types of memory. There's our narrative memory and the trauma memory itself. And how unfortunately, many therapists are not aware of the difference. You know, have you ever felt something that you know logically doesn't make sense or it is irrational yet still felt it anyway in spite of yourself? Well, Vanderkult explains this occurs by means of how our rational brain expresses and manifests itself in thoughts, while our emotional limbic brain manifests itself in physical reactions. The body sensations, such as our heart rhythm, butterflies, sweating, tight voice, breathing. So thus, understanding logically why you feel a certain way cannot keep you from feeling how you feel. And this again is why I said that often talk therapy doesn't work, because you gotta get into the body. In a nutshell, with trauma, the emotional brain hijacks the body. This is why a traumatized person feels so hopelessly out of control and overwhelmed and powerless to stop what's happening. Vanderkult shares the vital importance of social support and our social networks as part of the essentials for recovery and healing and how safety and terror are incompatible. Safety and terror are incompatible. Further, in regard to healing and treatment, I thought it was both interesting and encouraging that both adults and children respond the same way to the effectiveness of receiving comfort by means of gentle holding and rocking. Holding and rocking. Think about that. You're a little child. Something scary happens. What's mama do? Or grandma? They rock you, right? Or daddy? You know, they just soothe you and hold you and rock you. The assurance that somebody bigger and stronger is taking care of things, as well as the powerful effect of being around f familiar loved ones, feeling safe at a visceral level, and provided with physical shelter, food, care, as well as ample time for sleep and rest, really help us heal the best. Thus reinforcing this his theory that our attachment bonds are our greatest protection against threat, whereas managing your terror all by yourself gives rise to another set of problems, disassociation, despair, addictions, and a chronic sense of panic in relationships that's marked by alienation, disconnection, and explosions. 
physically moving our bodies in rhythmic ways as well as chanting and humming as very effective methods for healing trauma and the relationship between rhythm, movement, and healing, something I'm deeply studying right now. I think it's fascinating. Examples of these things are dancing, particularly tango, kickboxing, as well as theater as a means of self-expression, embodiment of your feelings, and building confidence and self-esteem. Vernicold states, you can't fully recover unless you feel safe in your skin. And that's why, in addition, he recommends some sort of regular body work like massage, cranial sacral therapy, etc. He shares that his patients with the poorest outcomes are those who suffer from feelings of mental defeat. Trauma is not just a problem of being stuck in the past. It's a problem with stimulating and processing feelings in the present moment fully ineffective as if they were still going on today. He also states that feeling listened to and understood create physiological changes in reaction, whereas not telling your story is death to the soul. The effectiveness of EMDR therapy is also shared in the book, as well as its relationship with getting adequate REM sleep. Sleep is critical. You have to sleep. Having strong functioning memory is dependent on good sleep and preventing depression, as well as weight gain, I will add, <laughs> and how they're all related. Another one of my favorite quotes, which is another shout out to the importance of embodiment is, we don't truly know ourselves until we can feel and regulate certain sensations. One thing that truly stood out for me was that I never knew there was an actual word for the ability to not be able to identify and articulate what you feel. Did you know that? There's actually a word for not being able to articulate and identify what you feel. It's a term and it's called, <laughs> I hope I pronounce it right, alexithemia. Apparently, alexithemia is so common, not being able to identify and articulate what we feel, that there's a name for it, alexithemia. It can be the result of numbing. It muffles the person's everyday senses to the world. A textbook textbook trauma response numbing also interesting and thought-provoking was how Vanderkolt shares how yoga and psychotherapy share in common two most important phrases number one would be notice notice that and number two what happens next and I love how Vanderkolt shares Rumi's famous poem the guest house which is often referenced classic and, and a personal favorite of mine. And I will add as a side note, a copy of that was given to me by an elderly Chinese acupuncturist and energy medicine healer that I had worked with years ago in an effort to help my father when he was trying to deal with his cancer. And <laughs> the, uh, China, you know, these elders, I'm telling you, they, they, they know where it's at. We just got to get more props out and more more screen and microphone time to these wise elders in our cultures. He picked right up on me and he gave me a copy of this poem by Rumi, the guest house. You might want to check it out. I should add it to my website. It's beautiful and powerful. So, wow. In conclusion, as I've stated, I love how Vanderkult's main objective is to integrate all parts of the self. We now know that in order for this to happen, the person needs to feel safe. 
As Vanderkolt states, the price of not doing so is the absence of a loving relationship with one's own body and soul. I found it very encouraging and inspiring that Vanderkolt shares that the majority of visionaries and social change agents in the world were all people who had experienced some sort of deep trauma in their past. For example, did you know Sir Isaac Newton? If you just look into his childhood, you'll see he was very traumatized. As far as treatment and recovery, since trauma desynchronizes the person from their environment, the whole point of therapy is to reestablish synchronicity with the environment. Somatic therapy and EMDR work, because they rewire the brain circuits, are super effective. You gotta embody, folks. You gotta get in your body. The answers to healing is in your body. Feel your feelings. Go to places and people who can help you access them to, to help the body process, move the energy out, and then you will heal. The trauma memory is stored in the body. Therefore, by moving the body, you can ch change it, which is why drugs and just talk therapy are almost not enough ever. The memories are stored in the body. The goal is to teach the body to sequester the event as just a memory that occurred in the past rather than continuing to relive it as if it's still happening in the present. This is key. I also found it comforting to learn that the responses that you develop as a result of the trauma were actually your body's intelligent and loving way to try to protect you and allow you to survive rather than being something that was shameful problem or an annoyance, something bad or wrong about you. I love that. That was a complete game changer for me personally to completely reframe. And there we go with the meaning, the story I gave it. Rather than something I was so shameful of and hated about myself, I took a new fresh take on, wow, you know, this was my body's intelligence, my way of surviving and protecting me. You know, I remember one of my therapists said to me that, you know, as an adult, you might not understand it or, 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 you know, like the fact that you're handling things this certain way, but you're a survivor. You're, this is how little Amy got big Amy to still be alive. Some, a lot of people who have gone through trauma manage to kill themselves one way or another, either, uh, you know, accidentally or, you know, doing uh, aggressive things or taking risky behaviors or drugs or alcohol or whatever. But, you know, the body in our, has its wisdom or even our limited capacity as a little child of, to survive, you know, and we'll try to do everything possible to survive. So rather than hating that part of myself, I had to learn to embrace it, love it, and even thank it. Wow, even thank it. That was a huge game changer for me. Now, rather than being angry and fighting yourself, you can have a sense of compassion and gratitude and, and that it's now safe for you to give them up because you can incorporate other methods to process and deal with the feelings more effectively. Realizing that at the time you, you coped and you survived by either becoming hypervigilant or shutting yourself down, disassociating, walling off that part of yourself, whatever. But unfortunately, that doesn't allow for intimacy and connection in the present. And now you can find another way because most likely you are now ready and wanting so badly to have that connection, that intimacy with both yourself and someone else. Vanderkolt shares that promising new trauma recovery treatments are in the works and the research is quite promising. With a special note, 
That set and setting are key. Remember, providing that safe container with all these modalities. They've shown to allow people to go deep into their trauma and help them ultimately learn to love themselves, which is something that just cognitive talk therapy can't achieve as previously stated because the logical adult brain, quote, understands that the person was not at fault, yet the body still holds the memory, the sensation, the physical sensation. These new therapies are also very successful in helping people understand and come to the conclusion that it wasn't their fault. A key point to remember in regards to using the psychedelic medicine and treatment therapy, because a lot of therapies are using ecstasy and LSD and, and, and mescaline and uh, mushrooms and things like that, because they're super powerful in uh, helping people uh, resolve trauma. So that the objective is to not help people maintain or tolerate bad things, but rather to help create a new mindset, a new frame of reference from which they can now live and operate. As the author states, there's nothing nece necessarily wrong with medications. The question is if they're working for you. So ask yourself, is your life better? <laughs> you know, that's a good way to figure out if they're working. And hey, if you've experienced trauma and are still here, congratulations, my friend, because you are a survivor. In fact, people who've undergone trauma are the ultimate definition of survivor. <laughs> Additionally, the author shares that in his vast experience, they usually have a tremendous amount of life force, which has enabled them to keep going in spite of the horrific things that have happened to them. Plus, they're often the ones that significantly change the world, like I mentioned, Sir Isaac Newton. And they're also responsible for great advances in humanity. Because as the author states, if you're not traumatized, there's no need to change anything, right? It's a huge catalyst to take some action and make some real pioneering changes. So we've learned that the way we move, the way we breathe, the way we touch, the way we're being touched, are, all have dramatic, powerful effects on self-regulation. Want to heal? You need to feel. With phenomenal contributions to the fields of mental health and healings, we now understand why traumatized people often become emotionally disengaged, sensitive to light and sounds, and are withdrawn in response to the slightest provocation. And most importantly, we're learning how to heal them and help them heal themselves. Not only a mental-emotional issue, trauma changes the very physical structure and function of the brain. It is a body issue as well as brain. It's been said that feeling physically and emotionally safe is the definition of mental health. Feeling known, seen, with a sense of predictability, and above all, safety are vital for healing and for us to have a sense of agency and control over the self. Thus, having some predictability and clarity of expectations are critical for healing to occur. Additionally, consistency and agency are essential. Engaging in athletics, playing music, dancing, and theater performances, as I mentioned before, all promote agency and community and therefore can help you heal. So just a little reminder there. So I'll just add in closing as a personal note, after reading this book, I finally understood why I am the way I am or have been the way I had been. I honestly had no idea what disassociation was prior to reading this book, or at least I didn't really understand it thoroughly as I do now, or that it was something that I would do at times. And I finally appreciated that I have not done anything wrong or that I'm not necessarily broken or defective. 
but rather some of my mysterious behavior was simply my body's natural defense mechanism to protect me and help me survive and still be alive today. Thus, I had much more compassion for myself. Yeah, just a lot more, a lot more softness with myself. You know, if you're like me, you probably live most of your life in your left brain and, you know, super strong and high values and work ethic and, you know, that judgmental mind judging ourselves, right? You know, the opposite of loving is judging. And uh, this really helped me understand just a lot more compassion and softness and gentleness for myself. So rather than berating myself and pushing myself, perhaps I could develop a new sense of appreciation and kindness to myself, self-kindness, and um, a reverence for the wisdom of my body, truly superior creative intelligence. So now I tend to remember to tend and befriend my body rather than thinking of it as something that had betrayed me or is hijacking me or working against me or I have to fight. So instead I know to realize it's quite the opposite and that my body had in fact cared about my well-being and survival so much that it was actually protecting me and it was smart. It was doing the right thing. It helped me get to where I am with you today. This is truly an example of how our bodies have wisdom far in advance and magnitude of our conscious minds. The book, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma, and Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, his work is aligned with mine. The key to healing our minds, bodies, and spirits, and souls involves understanding how the mind, body, spirit work, both in the conscious and unconscious self, and the aim ultimately at obtaining self-knowledge, mastery, and agency. So there you have it. I really hope this has helped you. Please feel free to share it with someone you think it might help. I'm here for you, my friend. Remember, you can join me on my email list, amy at amyfornier.com. And uh, just in case I get removed from social media, fit Amy TV on Instagram and YouTube. And uh, you might also want to check out the work of, uh, as I promised, Dr. Ariel Schwartz, who's a clinical psychologist. She has a wonderful book on the post-traumatic growth guidebook. And the reason why I just wanted to point it out in closing quickly is I did come into the exposure to this um, just recently. But I, I love how her work, she focuses on what, what, uh, what can go right and what did go right rather than the symptoms of what, going, what went wrong, which a lot of the talk therapies do. They try to have you remember and talk through what was happening at the time. She's very forward thinking, which I really, I'm all about it. You know, let's take what we have from here and go forward, moving forward. She mentions, I'll just give you a quick little rundown, three quick things. She says we adapt to adversity by orienting, orienting ourselves to our strengths. Like I said, focusing on the good, what we can control, right? Then attending to the pain, which I think is very important. I've talked about this before. That, you know, it's really important not to bypass, not to stick a happy sticker on something that's really wrong. You need to feel what you're feeling. Otherwise, you will dissociate, you will disattach, you will, it'll be a shadow and it will come out eventually in ways you probably won't like. And uh, so attending to our pain is very important. Okay. And lastly, taking charge of the narrative that defines your life. You know, what is the meaning you are giving to it and finding the meaning 
that works for you in a positive way. So this is the resilience-based approach that Dr. Ariel Schwartz shares in her work. And we look at focusing on what is working and how surround, how you've survived so far, who's helped you to get here, how you got here, and then turning toward the, uh, the future and uh, your imagination and creating it, creating something that you aspire to with love and joy. So there you go, my friend. I thank you so much for joining me today. If you're still with me this far, yeah, you're my peeps. If you're still listening or still watching, you are my peeps. That's for sure. We're in this together. And I would love to hear from you. If this episode helped you or can help anybody, I would love if you leave a review or just reach out to me and let me know. And Because uh, it wasn't easy for me to do. I didn't want to do it, but I hope it helped. All right. Until next time. Would you like to support my mission to help empower people all over the world to be all of who they truly are? If so, please subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend. And if you're looking to take immediate action to align your energy and optimize your health, visit amyfournier.com. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite. Let's awaken her together in you. I'm your hostess, Amy Fournier. And I already can't wait to be with you again and for you to hear what I have planned for the next show. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. To learn more about Amy, check out her website, amyfournier.com. That's A-M-Y-F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R.com. You can also check out Amy's live and on-demand virtual fitness and yoga classes and sign up for her newsletter to receive a free mini ebook of three of her top tips for making holistic health a lifestyle. Again, that's amyfournier.com and get your ebook sent to your email immediately. Connect with Amy on the daily on Instagram at fitamytv, F-I-T-A-M-Y-T-V, and watch many of the podcast episodes and subtopic clips on her YouTube channel, which is also fitamytv. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time on Awakening Aphrodite.